scripture is John 15, 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that he may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask, The Father, in my name, he will give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. You know, I need to be careful. I need to be careful as I choose my words. I was contacted by a church member this week, and you know he didn't he didn't contact me to try to rebuke me, but his email reminded me. It reminded me of the need to be careful when choosing words. You know, last week I began a, a new sermon series for the fall uh, about the commitments commitments that we make to one another uh, as members of this church. And one of the dangers that I realized in preaching a series like this is that it might come across as some kind of a new law, some set of rules or obligations, something more to to burden us and to weigh us down rather than an invitation to greater grace. So I want to begin by just reflecting upon that. 
Because the last thing that I hope for this series this fall is that anyone hear it as a new law and feel weighed down by it because the discussion that we're going to have this fall about commitments is not a new law, but an invitation to experience the grace of Jesus Christ. You know, we remember that when Jesus came, he didn't come to offer us a new religion. He came to offer us an invitation. You see, religion tells you how you must labor to get your act together so that you can become good enough for God. You know, whether it's the five pillars of Islam, the noble eightfold path of Buddhism, the four yogas of Hinduism, or simply becoming acceptably woke in the eyes of this cultural moment, it's a heavy burden laid upon the laborer who's often already having enough trouble to hold it all together. You know, in Jesus' day, the religious leaders also laid a heavy burden upon those that would try to follow the law. They had a heavy religious system with 613 laws that people were supposed to follow. 613 because that's how many separate letters there were in the text containing the Ten Commandments. So they found 613 commandments in the first five books of the Old Testament. And they divided that list into affirmative do this commands and negative don't do that commands. There were 248 do this commands, 365 don't do this commands, one for each day of the year. And then they further divided that list into binding commandments and non-binding commandments. And the experts in the law spent their days ranking and debating all of these commandments and their divisions, what was most and what was least important. And so the observant Jews in Jesus' day had a heavy burden and an impossible labor. And Jesus didn't come to offer a competing religious system. He came to offer an invitation to those who were desperate to get out from under the weight of such expectations. You know, as the opening, as our service opened and Brian read for us the words at the very beginning of the service, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus didn't come to offer us a new religion. He came to offer us an invitation. An invitation to discipleship. An invitation to be with Him. An invitation, as Julie read, to abide with Him. And did you hear in His invitation, Come to Me and I will give you rest. Well, friends, when we look at the life of Jesus' first followers, we know that rest doesn't mean inactivity or laziness. The word that Jesus uses can be translated as refreshment. He has come to give life. Not a life of ease or laziness, but rest from striving, from religion to earn or to deserve. He offers an invitation to a life of discipleship to rest in Him and what He's done. Again, He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Uh, a literal yoke uh, it would be a wooden um, a wooden. Uh, yoke. (laughs) It would be a wooden uh, contraption by which two oxen would actually be hitched together for the pulling of heavy loads. And so in Jesus' day, metaphorically, yoke was used to describe one one person's subjection to another. In Judaism, the yoke was, was regularly used to refer to the law. 
And so the teachers of the law in Jesus' day would say, take up the yoke of the law upon you. Subject yourself to the yoke of the law. Become a disciple of the law. But Jesus comes and He invites His hearers away and He says, no, no, no. Don't take the heavy yoke that they're laying upon you. Take up My yoke instead. Because the yoke that they laid upon the people was, was heavy and impossible. In fact, He rebuked the teachers of the law in Matthew, Matthew 23, verse 4 and said, they tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Jesus says, don't take up that yoke. Take up My yoke and learn from Me. The path of discipleship of following Jesus is far different from that of following the religious leaders of His day. Notice Jesus says, My burden is light. And the word translated here as burden is task or a service. It's a burden to be born. It's a practice or a manner of life. Jesus says, hey, listen, we're all going to live somehow. We're all going to have some practice or some manner of life. It's inevitable. Don't take up their heavy yoke and try to live that way. Take up my yoke. Take, go away from the burdens that are so heavy they'll crush and destroy you. Follow me because my yoke is light. He says his burden is light. And friends, when Jesus says following him, the burden is light, does he say that because there's no work, because there's no effort? Well, no. But we take up the yoke and we follow. But the burden is light because of the joy of having Jesus. Now, for all of you football fans out there, pre-COVID-19, none of you counted it, or currently in the middle of all we're facing, you didn't count it a burden to have to set aside time every Sunday afternoon to watch your favorite team play. You didn't count it a burden to sacrifice money to purchase subscriptions, tickets, hats, and jerseys. You didn't count it a burden to endure traffic lines, costs, crowds, and inconvenience to watch your favorite team play in person. You remember back then going in person to, to things? You didn't count any of those things a burden because of the joy of watching your favorite team. All those things seemed light. They were a burden, but they were light because of the joy of seeing your team. And friends, how much greater is the joy in following Jesus? Yes, there is a cost. Yes, there is a burden. But it is light. Why? For the joy of following Jesus. As I noted in last week's sermon, all of Jesus' parables tell this. He is the treasure hidden in the field for which we sell everything else simply to have that treasure because of the joy of having that treasure. And it doesn't seem a burden to let go of everything else because He is so precious. He is the pearl of great price for which we will get rid of everything else. And it doesn't seem a burden or a loss to get rid of those things because the joy of having Him and following Him is so much greater. The burden is light because of the joy of having Jesus. And church, even more than that, the burden is light is because, because when you and I follow Jesus, we don't follow out of fear like those who followed the law did. Those who took upon themselves the heavy yoke of the law did so out of fear. Fear of punishment. Fear of not measuring up. Fear of doing and never being good enough. Fear of not being accepted. Friends, we don't take up our yoke and follow Jesus in order to be accepted. We follow Him because we have been 
freely and graciously accepted. The gospel is no heavy burden taken up in order to earn or deserve grace. The yoke of Jesus is in response to having freely received grace from Jesus Christ. To follow the way of Jesus is simply for the joy of having more of Jesus. And the burden is light because of the joy of having Jesus. He is worth it. As we sang this morning, I walked the narrow road. Why? Because that leads me to you. He is the joy. The burden of following Him, of walking the narrow road, is because we know it leads us to Him, and He is our joy. The joy for which we would willingly surrender all. The joy for which we would hold on to nothing else that we might have Him. So friends, as we consider together this series through the fall, this series of commitments, please, please don't hear me teaching a new law to burden us or trying to tie up heavy burdens and expectations upon you. Because church, what I want, what I most want for all of you is to experience fully, ever more fully, the joy of knowing and following Jesus. And Jesus has told us, if you want to know me and have joy in me, then follow me. Take up my yoke upon you because it is light. Don't do it in order to earn grace. Do it because you've received grace. Walk the narrow road not to merit salvation, but because it leads you closer to me. And only in Him is joy and rest. Friends, this series this fall is not about law. It's about grace. This is not about something more for you to do. Friends, this is all about you having more of Jesus and having more joy in Him because church, He is our joy. He is worth anything that we might let go of and surrender to have more of Him. He is worth it. Amen? Okay, that wasn't even the morning sermon. That was just the preamble. So settle back for the rest of this three-hour service. In all seriousness, the point of today's passage that Julie read for us from John 15, it's not complex. It's not hard for us to understand. And yes, I could, and there have been other times that we've looked together at John 15, and someday we'll be back there again to go and examine each and every tree. But we're going to look at the forest. We're going to look at the big picture out of John 15 that Julie read for us. Twelve times, I don't know if you were counting, but twelve times in this passage in John 15, Jesus calls us to abide. To abide. And as we're talking about the commitments that we make together as a church family, the first one we make last week is to follow. The second one that we want to talk about is this commitment here, to abide, to abide in Christ. We desire to abide in Christ, not to earn His favor, but just, like, but just for the pure joy of being in Him and becoming like Him. Jesus talks about the branch abides in the vine, and it's going to become more like the vine. Notice the vine doesn't abide in the branch in, his par- in this uh, metaphor. The branch abides in the vine. Like we even talked about last week, abiding in Christ is not about fitting Jesus into your life. That's what we're tempted to do. Can I fit Jesus into my life? 
No, it's about your life being fit into His life. The branch being fit into the vine. Jesus is not just another thing for any of us to add to our life. Jesus is not some add-on to you or to me. We are added on to Him. Abide in Christ is a complete reorientation around Christ that we might become like Him. And hearing Jesus' repeated command to abide in the vine, you might ask a question. Why does He say it so much? I mean, when you and I trusted Jesus, weren't we immediately grafted into the vine by grace? Didn't He immediately make us part of Himself by faith at the moment we believed? So how can He spend so much time telling us to abide? Well, definitely, friends, we are, by grace, immediately grafted into the vine. But what we need to remember is that there is a huge difference between union and communion. There's a huge difference between union and communion. You know, marriage is a good illustration of that. You know, in marriage, there's a union. There's a ceremony, and and then the official papers are signed, and the couple consummates the marriage, and there is a living union. But friends, communion is something the couple has to develop and grow and nurture. You know, we've seen many marriages and we've seen them fall apart. Why? Because there may be a legal union, but there's no communion between the husband and the wife. The relationship has not been nurtured. It has not been taken care of. It has not grown. And friends, yes, at the moment of faith, there is a union with Christ. We are grafted into the branch, but that union, now we need communion. We need to abide in the branch. You know, again, if we neglect our marriages, if we neglect communion in our relationships, we know that that relationship is not going to grow and produce fruit. And so how much more with our relationship with God? Friends, in the same way that in our relationships, we need to give intention and attention that those relationships must grow. Our relationship with Christ, we must give it attention and intention. Uh, intention. You know, again, what practices of attention and intention maintain communion in your relationship, in your marriage? Again, if husbands and wives do not practice spending undistracted time together, if they don't say no to distractions, to hobbies, to work, to TV, to sports, to Facebook, if they don't cut out other people who would draw them away from one another, if they don't practice these disciplines, then they're not going to be free to abide and to commune with one another. You know, again, we need to have practices in our marriage that encourage communion, that we're abiding together with one another so that the relationship might grow and become fruitful. Friends, how much more in our relationship with Jesus? There might be a union, but Jesus challenges us in this passage and says, is there ongoing communion? Are you abiding that this relationship might be fruitful? Because if we truly wish to become fruitful in Christ, we need to abide in Him. As He said in verse 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in Me and I in Him, it is He who bears much fruit. For apart from Me, you can do nothing. You know, Jesus doesn't say, apart from Me, your yield is going to be greatly diminished. He doesn't say, apart from Me, you'll be less effective. He says, apart from Me, you can do nothing. The branch does not bear fruit by itself. Abiding is the secret to fruitful 
Christian life. And so friends, if you've been following Jesus and there's little to no fruit, you might ask, how's my abiding? Am I giving time and attention to my communion with Christ? Church, the call to abide, this isn't some kind of heavy new law for us to follow. It's not some kind of a a heavy burden of something we must do. It's not a yoke under which we must labor in order to merit God's favor. No, friends, this isn't a law. This is an invitation to you and to me. Abide in me. Rest in me. Because I'm the true vine. I'm the only source of life. I'm the true vine. I'm the only hope of transformation. I'm the true vine. I'm the only source of fruitfulness. So stop striving. Stop trying. Abide in me. Because you're trying so desperately to earn and deserve and manufacture what I freely give. This is no new law, but this is an invitation to receive grace because church, we know that only in Jesus is there grace. Only in Jesus is there life. Only in Jesus is there joy. So Jesus invites us, abide in me. Commune with me and find life and joy. So nuts and bolts practically. What are we talking about? Well, friends, one of the most important practices that helps us give our intent, our attention to communion with Christ, we find a reference to in verse 7. Jesus talks about us abiding in Him and His words abiding in us. Church, if you and I commit to nothing else, let us commit to the one practice of abiding in Christ and letting His words abide in us regularly. You know, in 2018, the Southern Baptist Convention commissioned a disciple-making task force and the number one recommendation, the number one recommendation to come out of that study was to challenge all churches to encourage their members to embrace biblical engagement to abide in the Word of God and to let those words abide in them. Because this study found that engaging with the Bible regularly is the number one spiritual discipline and it positively impacts everything else. Church, if we abide in Christ, we must be a people who abide in His Word and His words abide in us. This is not a new law for us to follow, but this is more grace to be had. If we choose not to abide, we cut ourselves off from the vine. There is more grace to be had. Do you want more Jesus? Do you want more joy in Him? Then hear the invitation. He says, come, abide, and let my words abide in you. It is, as we said last week, those things to which you commit will grow, and they will grow you. And the same thing is, friends, the things in which you've committed to abide, they will grow, and they're going to grow you. So, what's forming you? Whose words, in whose words are you currently abiding? You know, just this last month, the magazine Christianity Today gave a report. They said the average Christian spends an hour or two per week under the teaching of their local church, but as many as 13 hours a day consuming other forms of media, listening to podcasts, scrolling through Twitter, watching cable news. How can we expect Christians to look any different when they're functionally discipled by pundits and memes? 
What words are we abiding in? What words are abiding in us and shaping us? Another recent survey found that only a third of Americans who attend Protestant church regularly say that they read the Bible personally every day. Less than one-third of American church attendees say they daily abide in Jesus' words and invite those words to abide in them. But daily, we do choose to abide in many other words. A Crossway survey found that 70% of respondents spent 30 minutes or more each day engaging with email. 59% said 30 minutes or more with TV. 28% said 30 minutes or more with Facebook. And 26% said 30 minutes or more with YouTube. So how about you? We daily abide in many words. And these words fill us. And they shape us. But friends, what words are you abiding in? And are abiding in you? And into what are they shaping you? Friends, Jesus invites us here to abide in Him. Not as a new law, but as a grace to us. He invites us to abide in Him, church, because everything else in which you and I are tempted to abide is poison to our souls. And if it's not poison, at least it's junk food for our souls. If it won't outright kill you, it's not going to make you that healthy. And so Jesus' invitation to abide in Him is because He is the only true source of life. He says, I am the true vine. You're out looking for joy in all the wrong places. You're looking for answers in all the wrong places. You're looking for peace in all the wrong places. You're looking for hope in all the wrong places. Abide daily, regularly in me and my words in you because only there are you going to find me. Only there will you find the grace you're looking for. Only in me are you going to find life. Church, this is not a new law for you and I to follow. It's an invitation to have greater grace. It's an invitation to have greater intimacy with Christ. It's an invitation to have fuller rest in Him. It's an invitation to joy unimaginable. Why would we ignore such an invitation to have more of Jesus? And church, Jesus invites us to abide in Him, the true vine, because only then, only then are we going to become a fruitful fellowship. Only then are we going to become a fruitful church. Friends, if there's scant fruit in your life, if there's little transformation, stunted growth, or diminishing joy... You might consider, am I abiding in, communing daily with Jesus, the true vine? Or am I so filled with other words, abiding in those words and those words in me, that I'm being shaped by them and not by Him? Church family, we commit together to abide regularly and intentionally in God's Word and in prayer in our lives individually, in our families, in our church community, because He's the only vine. He's the only joy. He's the only source of life. He's our only hope for fruitfulness. And our fruitfulness, church, our fruitfulness, think about this, is the only hope of the world. The fruitfulness of the church is hope for this world. Because remember that a tree does not bear fruit to feed itself, but to feed others. So what if we don't bear fruit? Who's going to starve? 
The tree does not bear fruit to feed itself, but to feed others. Christ has called us, His church, to be fruitful for the sake of a hungry and a starving and a dying world. We desire the joy of being part of what Christ is doing. We desire the joy of seeing others come to faith in Him. We desire the joy of seeing the Gospel preached, lives changed, bonds broken, addictions destroyed, sins forgiven, brokenness healed, the sick healed, the dead raised. We want to be a church who abides in the vine because Jesus said, whoever abides in me and I in Him, it is He that bears much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. There's no fruit. Friends, fruit is produced for the sake of feeding others. Fruit is produced for the sake also of reproduction. There are seeds in fruit, and those seeds are meant to reproduce. Church, if we wish to be part of the joy of seeing new life reproduced, then we must abide that we might bear fruit. Abide in Christ. Abide in His words. His words in us. This is no new law. This is an invitation to experience greater grace. This is an invitation to the unspeakable joy of being part of what Christ is doing. This is an invitation to have and to be closer to Christ Himself. As a result, having more fruit through that union, that communion with Christ. So church, how will you Respond to this invitation to abide. And if you're not already in the habit of daily abiding in the Word of God, there is no better time to start than right now. For those who are not in a daily habit, I printed a couple of Bible reading plans that are actually over on the table over there. One is a Bible reading plan that I use in chronologically reading through the Bible. It's a, there's a daily reading from the Old Testament and the New Testament sometimes is Psalm takes about 15-20 minutes a day to do the readings. And it will bring you through the entire Bible in one year. But for some of you here who might just be starting to daily abide, you don't start running a marathon by running a marathon. You start with shorter distances and build up endurance. So there's also a study over there, the 5x5x5 plan by the Navigator's Discipleship Ministry that invites you to read just one chapter a day. In the New Testament, it will bring you through the New Testament in one year with five minutes of reading a day. And it's a great place to start if you haven't started. And if you'd like another tool to help abide daily in God's Word, every morning, like I mentioned, Tuesday through Friday at 9 a.m., I lead a scripture meditation where we read a passage of scripture and we ask five simple questions together. God is. What do we learn about God from that passage? We are. What do we learn about ourselves or humans in general from that passage? The gospel is. How does the passage point us to the good news of Jesus? I will. What should I do in response to this passage? And I can. I can tell someone else this truth I just learned, and who will it be? And my intention with that daily scripture meditation is not to replace your time with Christ, but to supplement it and to encourage you and train you and help you practice abiding in His Word. And again, if you can't join us live for those videos, they're all recorded and on our YouTube channel. However, friends, however you respond, hear the invitation and do respond. 
It's an invitation by the true vine. Not a demand, but an invitation. Not a law, but a grace. Abide in me and let my words abide in you. For only there, only there, church, will you find true joy. Only there will you find life. And only there and then will there be real and lasting fruit. Church, abide. And let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to abide in Christ. Not as a law, but that we might have more grace. That we might have more of Him. And that we might have the joy of being closer to Him. For He is our joy. He is our hope. He is our peace. He is our life. And Father, make us fruitful. Make us fruitful as individuals and fruitful as a fellowship. Father, may we see the fruit of new and abundant life. May we see lives transformed. May we see this community and this this county and this state and this country reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, make your church fruitful as we abide with you, the true branch, that we might have life and that that life might be spread from us to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.